everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, joined by Ken Weave from Sportsnet. Together we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie long-form weekly show that we love to do on Thursdays. And we're going hyper-local with this one as we're going to join Andrew Hustler-Patterson, or he's going to join us. Ken was just uh, on his show, so he'll be popping by in about five minutes or so, and we're going to have Munzee. Brian Munns uh, from the Winnipeg Ice in Gulf, Manitoba, uh, and uh, from you'll know him from his long years on the Winnipeg Jets uh, broadcast and radio casts. Uh, Going to be great to catch up with two guys we are lucky enough to call friends here locally, Ken. But before we get going, how are you doing, my friend? Yeah, tremendous, Sean. Uh, yeah, outside of the uh, late flurries that we got here, I mean, I guess we're fortunate that it wasn't quite as, uh, you know, severe a blizzard as was forecast but uh outside of that doing just fine uh it would be nice to be on that road trip out in florida like we had originally intended but uh, outside of that uh, we'll be watching her from home and yeah fun time of the year coming off of vladdy guerrero three homer night in the oh first boy. four four home run game of his career uh pretty cool stuff and huss or uh sean as you know we were at the game where vladimir guerrero had his first major league rbi in texas yeah. so uh, that was a pretty cool moment to actually witness in person. This last one was witnessed on the television, but uh, fun time of the year. Masters wrapped up, fun last week. Uh, looking forward to some golf when it is around the corner, but, uh, you know, there's still some hockey to be covered here during these uh, final eight games of the season for the Winnipeg Jets, and we got a fun day today, and we know on the, you know we're going to shine a bright light on the local hockey scene here when we talk to Brian about the uh, Winnipeg Ice, and also we know the Manitoba Moose are calder cup playoff bound and also too i mean the manitoba junior hockey league playoffs are ongoing and there's some exciting series on the on the horizon there as well we should mention that uh our, our camera guy uh colin won his oh division go. uh at uh at the canland iceplex so uh good for well him. Done, good colin job Jensen. colin he's a bit of a gm on that team he's an organizer he said they had a whole bunch of uh Beers ready to go. They bought a case of those Bobby margaritas that he was going to send our colleague Sean McKenzie a picture of them celebrating with those. So he he showed he sent me a, a picture of his team hoisting their cup that they won and showing it <laughs> off. And I said, yeah, I saw a similar scene when we lost, and I got to see the other team do that uh, uh, on the weekend. So uh, thanks for that, Colin. Thanks for rubbing it in. No, but it was good to see Colin, a uh, great guy. We absolutely adore working with uh getting having some success there it's funny you brought up the um uh the the, the big storm here i'm looking into the chat room and i see pat canuga a good friend of mine who works at cbc and who will have been covering that off extensively it reminds me of a thread that uh bartley kivas had on twitter where he was kind of addressing the people who were really upset that this storm didn't deliver you know the kind of doomsday snowmageddon that we, that it was possibly going to be and and it just i think it's kind of hilarious the way we as winnipeggers kind of complain about things not being terrible right like and, and i have to say I, I was kind of in that like the, the one thing that i've been a, a part of here so in 1997 i graduated in 1996 from uh, high school and then I moved out immediately to Prince George BC and I lived there for a year and I got back in May just when you know the flooding was kind of it was coming slightly to an end but I missed the crazy winter snowfall we had that year I came home at Christmas that year and thought oh geez there's a lot of snow here but wasn't there for that late snowstorm so I've been watching uh, Rob's OBS is a really good follow on Twitter for weather stuff and I've been following him for the year and watching where 
where we've kind of landed this winter and we were out going into the storm. We were outside the top 10 snowiest winters ever recorded here in Winnipeg. Uh, and so we, we got into the top 10. I think we're sitting at number nine right now. Uh, we need, I think one, we needed one centimeter today to get over 200 centimeters um, for the entire winter season. And I was rooting for that. So I think that's going to happen. I was rooting for that. But there was like a part of me that was like really, really rooting that we got like another 15 centimeter dump today or something <laughs> like that before everything wraps up, because that would have brought us all the way up to number three on the list of all time uh, most recorded snowfalls during the winter. And that would have put us ahead of 97 because I kind of feel like I missed out on it. I'm a Manitoban here. And I know that a couple of years back, I think it was about eight years back, we had the coldest winter on record in the last hundred years. So I, I love to be able to say like a hundred years, you know, that's probably, you know, our kids, especially with, you know, climate change and stuff like that, probably aren't going to be living through that. But uh, I want, you know, part of me wants the burden of being able to, you know, shovel and say, Hey, I shoveled through one of the top three snowiest winters ever. So it was, uh, I don't know how you felt about it, Ken, but I, I put my hand up when you say, who are the people out there who are upset? It wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. I'm one of those people. I don't, I don't mean to, you know, give anyone a hard time, but I, I was, I this was what you need for chaos. <laughs> <laughs> you need to wake up on that one. Uh, 1997, I was, uh, you know, finishing my second year at the university of Regina. I did come home to do some sandbagging but i did not uh you know get the winter storms uh, that year either really so it wasn't uh you know, ken senior was left to do the shoveling back home but uh certainly helped with the old sandbagging process uh, eventually after the exams got finished up but uh yeah i didn't uh, get to see that either uh, I'm I'm not with you on this one, Sean. I uh, I'm glad it wasn't as bad. I mean, we're fortunate at our condo that the uh, driveways are mostly taken care of. They have not been, and they will be taken care of on Friday at least. But uh, and again, we also know around the province, uh, some places got dumped on a little bit more than we did. But uh, a lot of chaos on the scheduling fronts. But um, yeah, overall. I'm actually the the sooner we get to spring, the better for me. So uh, we're going to be on opposite sides of the fence uh, on this one, but uh, certainly not. There's no there's no anger in this debate. Yeah, I don't know, uh, EKD. This is starting to be a real habit. And you know, the worst part about it is I am having shoulder problems lately. And so when I'm complaining about it, you know, now my wife is picking up on the patting myself on the back uh, yeah. joke here. Pat Canuga, I did get out and shovel today. I, I got to say, I went, I shoveled yesterday because I knew it was kind of going to be coming in shifts. So I got out and I shoveled yesterday. It was the weirdest snow I've ever shoveled before. Like it's, it was Heavy. so heavy and yet you know i've shoveled like slushy snow before the kind that when you when you move the stuff on the top the bottom is saturated in water it felt like it was heavier than that kind of snow and yet it was dry it was a really interesting crazy heavy snow got that off yesterday went and got the rest of it off today so uh, i'm prepared for the next one like i said bring it on if we can get up to that number three spot i'll take a bronze medal any day to say that I lived through that, that would be a lot of fun. Ken, before uh, Hus gets here, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, not quite a Manitoba boy, but I kind of think of the Northwestern Ontario as being, you know, somewhat oh, yeah. kind of like uh, us Manitobans. My dad was born in Dryden, Ontario. So we, from the very beginning of his career, I was, you know, just a kid when it happened. But uh, when Chris Pronger was coming up into the league, always a big fan of Chris Pronger because my dad was a Dryden boy and Chris was a Dryden boy. And 
he's kind of hopped on Twitter here and is tearing up Twitter, got to 100,000 followers pretty quick. And it's not just because he was, you know, this phenomenal player, but it's the interesting stuff he's talking about. One of the things that he's really kind of tackled is, you know, athlete salaries. And, and uh, one of the, his threads recently has created, you know, a little bit of a stir in the hockey world. Basically him explaining, you know, if you're a $6 million star player in the league, what that translates to. And he talked about all the different things uh, that, that, you know, kind of take a bite out of that salary and what $6 million, you know, salary translates to in money in the bank and then took into uh, uh, into consideration a lot of the other stuff. You know, Theo Fleury's book did a really good job at this, talking about like when you played in New York, if you are, um, you know, a kid who's just like basically at the league minimum, it's pretty hard to make it financially in New York. I mean, that's a, if you're in Winnipeg, you know, eight hundred, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a year is going to take you a lot farther than it's going to take you in Manhattan. So um, I wanted to get your thoughts because a lot of people are are kind of taking shots at Chris, suggesting that he's taking a "woe is me" approach to uh, to hockey players and the salaries they get. What did you take out of it? Yeah, I think people don't know about Chris. He's just trying to be informative, right? He's not asking for sympathy whatsoever. I mean, Chris doesn't need sympathy at all. He's made tons of money in his career, and he's not asking people to feel sorry for him. That is not the intention of the thread at all. He's trying to help people inform uh, the public as to why so many athletes are struggling financially, even though it seems like they've made all this money. Um, we know that horror stories in all professional sports uh, with certain people and how they ended up in a bad situation. I mean, Chris is in a good situation. I mean, he's a guy that, um, you know, I don't know him well, but I've been fortunate to talk to him over the years. I mean, obviously, I covered his brother, Sean, but Chris is a guy who's always great to see around the rink in St. Louis when he's around. Um, again, he's just trying to help people understand. And I think more than anything too, Sean, I think he's trying to help players understand as well i think that's part of the you know he was always a guy who was a great mentor as a teammate so i think chris is trying to help athletes or young athletes or people who are just getting into the sport help try to avoid some of the pitfalls that have been tough for a lot of people uh to endure um a lot of times you think you're on top of the world you're in the nhl you're going to play forever you're going to make all this money you're never going to have to worry about your finances and the next thing you know you're wondering why you have to sell off some of your memorabilia. I mean, um, I, I think Chris is one of the smartest guys uh, I've spoken to in the game. Um, he's a down-to-earth person, because like you said, from where he's from. Uh, but he's trying to be helpful. Uh, and I understand we're in a society where everyone has to have a flaming hot take. And if you don't <laughs> just, if you don't agree with someone, then you are, you know, are, are immediately attacking them. And again, Chris is not asking for sympathy. He's just trying to help inform people, which I think the majority of people were informed by the conversation. But that's the other part, too. He wants to get the conversation going. It's an important one for athletes. It's an important one. I mean, again, if you're a young guy, um, you know, you got to manage your money wisely. Yes, of course, you get a signing bonus. You think you're set for life. But um, a lot of these guys end up having an entourage or other people hangers on or maybe you get some bad ad advice in terms of investing. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're in a bad spot where it looked like you would be set for life. So I, I found it quite interesting. And I, again, we're, you know, we hate to kind of get ahead of the curve here, but we're going to definitely try to get Chris on uh, at some point. I think he'd be a fantastic guest. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can we can get him on to share his thoughts on that and, and many other topics of conversation. 
I'll check to see if he remembers my uncle Danny, whose claim to fame was that he umpired him in uh, um, in slow pitch in the early years when he would go home from the NHL. And I think he told my uncle off at some point. Oh. I love that story. <laughs> um, you know what? It, it's I, I think it's really interesting, and there's a, a good point that is brought up here. Lynn Reimer says when discussing salaries, etc., it takes a gentle touch, and you are walking a fine line. And I think she is entirely right with this. Because because I, I do understand the breakdown. I do understand how there was this kind of response to what he was saying as this kind of woe is woe are we poor professional athletes who make, you know, seven figures in these kind of issues, you know, because one of the breakdowns that he had there and that he'd set aside was, you know, seventy five thousand dollars for vehicle per per year, right? Or and I, I think that that's one of those things. And I will say this, I do know some people and I'm close with some people who have um who, who have done very well financially. And the one thing that I will say is when you've been distanced from what it's like to live from paycheck to paycheck, which I think the vast majority of us do, uh, it can be a little bit tricky. Um, and, and when people make, you know, certain suggestions about, you know, $75,000 a year for vehicles, people think, man, oh man, what could I do with that kind of money? <laughs> now, I, I totally understand this. Uh, I, I, I'm, you know, me, Ken, I'm a big believer in you know the more information the better and if you're saying the truth what well, i don't see how people can get upset with the truth so i didn't take offense to this i saw the people kind of getting wound up and saying that chris bronger was kind of complaining about this i didn't see it like that at all he wasn't he has no reason to complain he's done well for himself illuminated a lot of stuff though like kind of the ideas of of you know listen these hockey players, they're not businessmen. A lot of people who are wealthy get wealthy because they're businessmen, which means they're they're practiced and studied in the art of making and handling money, right? These are players who throw every little bit of time that they have into making their bodies and their minds better and their skills better. So then when the money comes kind of out of nowhere, a lot of them find themselves, you know, not ready to properly handle what happens when that money comes along? If anyone is interested in, in checking deeper into this, you got to watch that 30 for 30 documentary broke. It's absolutely fascinating. You hear these stories of guys like, you know, Terrell Owens had $80 million and, and lost it all. And all these different athletes, you know, you, there's a ton of them that, that you can name certain ones that they, I, I, it was neat because I was a big Andre bad moon Ryzen fan. Yes. And he's uh, one of the focuses there, but you get to really understand how the attitude of trying to do the best and then when you, you know, that's what an athlete is. You're trying to be better than the next guy. And then when you get to a point and, you know, in, in our society, we so relate how each of us are doing financially as who's doing better in life. Well, if you're this pro athlete and you've been trying to be the best at all times and you get to a point and you start making money and this guy over here starts spending money like he's better than you, then your instinct is to spend more to get to be better than him and be more impressive than him. And it gets to be a little bit of an arms race. And that kind of is the culture that happens there. If you are interested in finding out how athletes are able to take millions upon millions of dollars and end up broken at no shortage of time, Go to or, or go check out that 30 for 30 documentary, Broke. It is absolutely fascinating. Good stuff. We could talk about this all day, Ken, uh, but we, uh, we we should get into the show here. Our main man, Andrew Hustle patterson is ready to join the show, bringing him in here. Huss, this is awesome for us because we wanted to get to this at some point. We spent so much time doing this with you and being a guest on your show, and you've jumped in and you've headed a couple of Kenny and Rennies for us when we've needed you to do so. We appreciate you so much for that. But we love the idea of kind of digging deeper into 
the Andrew Hustler Patterson that maybe <laughs> not everyone knows about. Now you're a pretty transparent figure. You've you know you are who you are, and you've been a figure in this town for a long time. But kind of take us back to the beginning. I've always found as a country boy that Winnipeg is not exactly a city. It's more a collection of small towns glued together so that the Transcona boys remain Transcona boys. The St. James guys, that's a town on its own. We live a block and a half from where my wife grew up and all of her high school friends are kind of still around the area. Give us an idea of where you come from and if you subscribe to that view of the city of Winnipeg. Uh, you know, a little bit. I mean, listen, Winnipeg is, I mean, it's one degree of separation. I mean, I think for everyone, I mean, you know, whether you're from, uh, you know, the North side or the, you know, the South end or, or central, I mean, I think as you get older, if you spend your life in Winnipeg, I mean, it doesn't take long to make all those connections, but I mean, yeah, I grew up in river Heights and I mean, I moved out. I wasn't even 18 years old yet and moved into kind of Osborne village. And I've basically been as embarrassing this is, I've been about a nine iron from the Corden and Arbuth, not 7-Eleven for the better part of the last <laughs> 25 years within a month and a few spots. So, I mean, I love the area, the neighborhood, and it's close and central. But, yeah, I mean, it was River Heights and then, you know, went to Calvin, went to the uh, U of M. And, I mean, I really got my sort of uh, break, if you will, or opportunity to get into the sports business because I was always a sports nerd, but – I mean, listen, I did fine in school, but at the end of high school, I really wasn't like I had no path. The Red River Creek Home program wasn't really a thing at that point. Yeah, as of yet, it was very in its infancy. So, I mean, I went to U of M and I did an arts degree. And in the first year, um, a friend uh, that was a little older that was in the rec studies program, knowing what uh, Jets geek I was, and then I went to all the games, said, listen, they've started off this somewhat ironic we're talking about this now with what's happening with the club but they've for the first time ever they realized that oh maybe if they had some people that actually went out and sold tickets uh, would help us get some more butts in seats so they started a program and most of the people working that that summer were like kind of 25 were mba students then they had a couple of young people myself and bob Stoller, um and patty martins who at the time was patty peters who ended up being you know working with true north and ticketing for uh, for a long long time so it was a great opportunity. I mean, we our offices were in the press box. I'd be literally looking at the seats in the Winnipeg arenas. I'd be talking to people about them. And I mean, it was just a great opportunity. I got to learn so much about the business, how the operations work. And, uh, and I was good at it. And I had a lot of passion for it because I was a person that, much like today, still bought tickets, still goes to the game, still likes to enjoy the... Yes, Tracy was there. Tracy, that's what up, Trace. Still have great connections from back in those days. So it was awesome. Did that through the summers as I was in university. And as my goal was, like, I honestly, you know, wanted to work for the team. I, you know, I thought that I was doing what I wanted to do. And, you know, there'd be some place to move up. But they said, listen, you know, you're doing well. Get your, you know, finish university. And unfortunately, that coincided with um, the team leaving. So I got a chance to be, you know, one of the first employees in the Manitoba Moose going in there in 96 in May. I think May 15th was my start date. Uh, there was Jim Milliken there was there. There was Gord Dimitri was there. Um, Patty was there doing the ticketing, a very, very small group and really got to work with the Moose through kind of trying to establish it. And I'll tell you that the second year of doing that gig after the miserable first year of the Moose combined with the you know, the depression of losing the Winnipeg Jets 
was the biggest challenge maybe of my life. But, you know, if we stuck to it, we really believed in it. And, you know, kind of starting from the bottom was able to build that organization up. And in a lot of ways, that was sort of the foundation for True North to grow into the uh, company they were to get the uh, to, to end up getting the Jets back. Um, so I got a great opportunity doing that. I did corporate sales, was successful in that. Got an opportunity to go work for the Edmonton Oilers for a season. And, you know, the folks at the Moose, uh, maybe a couple people missed me because I got a chance to come back to be the director of marketing. And, you know, I always say this to people that are uh, asking me about, you know, the sports industry and the business. Um, you know, if you can do well in some sort of a sales capacity, it is incredibly important. But usually people that run teams or have, you know, important executive roles will often have that, but they will also run a different department. So I wanted to get experience doing other things. And to be honest, and I guess it's not a surprise, I mean, I was always interested in the media and the communication side, but A, I didn't have the background in that. And there were now people that actually had that sort of training, if you will. Um, and at the time, they had moved Scott Brown over from CTV into that position. He had a real bright future, and he's still doing the job right now. So it was a little bit more of reading the room as well. Um, so I did that, did suites and corporate sales going into the new arena, knowing that that was sort of going to be a real great opportunity to make some money, uh, but that at then I'd be doing something else. And uh, myself and Greg Poseshnik did the uh, World Women's Hockey Championship, running that for Hockey Canada. And it was a great transition because I still got to work in the building I still got to be around many of my best friends that were still working for the organization. Uh, but our bosses were in Calgary. We had a job to do. And and to be honest, that event in 2007, the way that it was supported by Winnipeg and the success that we had, probably my proudest thing that I've been involved in. It was just such an amazing, amazing event, what it did for women's hockey, the legacy that it's had here in Manitoba. Um so, I mean, that was sort of the background of my start kind of in the business. And, and then I realized that, you know, I really did want to, and again, this is before the internet gave us the opportunities that we have now just to go and do something yourself. Um, but it was tot it was Robert Zilek, Z-Man, our old buddy from the Moose sales department, who had this idea for this NFL Sunday ticket show because we were all fantasy football nerds. And I said, oh, I'd love to do that. That'll be fun. Shout out to our friends at Royal Sports, who was our first sponsor. They're still with us now. Um, and yeah, we'd go in there once a week and we'd make football picks and we'd screw around and, you know, Jim would try to m keep the whole thing together. And, um, you know, it became really, really popular. And, uh, I got a chance from a guy to say, would you be interested in doing some radio stuff? And I'm like, yeah, I just said yes to every opportunity. And it just sort of went from there. And, um, obviously Gary Lawless and I started that show, um, which originally was called just the Saturday sports page. We didn't have something clever like Hustler and Lawless or anything like that. Uh, we went over to OB in, well, around sort of after the, the World Women's uh, about, and then we did Saturday mornings for a while. Vic Grant was the one that said, you're coming on to OB, and it's going to be called Hustler and Lawless. 09 Calder Cup Finals began as a five-day-a-week show, and um, and then she's at one point, I guess, into 2011, made the move, got the opportunity to sort of be the first daily show on TSN at a better time. I believed in sports radio passionately. I was so excited to do it and uh, had a great run at TSN until about 14 months ago. And I think we've all spent enough time talking about the demise of the station. But I'll tell you what, and I'm sure you guys would agree. I mean, with all of that, it's also provided some great opportunities for many of us. And uh, tell you, myself and Remus are uh, loving every day of doing what we're doing at Winnipeg Sports Talk. And uh, obviously working with you guys and seeing what you're doing afterwards. It's uh, it's a, it's an exciting time to be in this medium right now. And uh, 
certainly what happened with Bell created a massive opportunity for individuals like us to uh, sort of forge ahead doing it our own. And uh, honestly, right now, I wouldn't have it any other way. That's uh, a great, great, great job at the buffet there, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I, I just gave you a nice little synopsis. I tried not to go too Weber on you. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, we know how you got into it, but why did you stay into it? And what is what is the appeal about the sports media side? Like, given your background and knowing your versatility, what's been what's kind of kept you uh, in the sports uh, media game? Well, I mean first what got me in it to in the first place i mean i love it i i always joke i mean it's like you're never actually working um you know i said to gary the first day we started that show and it really was the case you know throughout the entire time i worked with him and it's the same thing right now i mean the conversations that like we just had on our program ken i mean we could do that here on youtube if you and i were sitting down at confusion corner or boston pizza we'd be having the same conversation it's essentially yeah. it just comes so naturally and it's so much fun i mean i don't know that's just who i am i mean that these are the things that i'm interested in. i mean there's not a lot of uh and the beautiful thing about being doing it yourself i mean you don't have to go in or talk about a bunch of things that you you really don't want to so i mean more than anything it's fun i mean you're able to take i think in life if you're able to make a living doing something that you are enjoy and you're incredibly passionate about i think a you'll be good at it or you know it'll give you a good chance to succeed but the other side of it is that um you know it doesn't feel like you're working every day i mean listen there is work i mean there's a lot of work into what happened to getting winnipeg sports talk started we had to learn a lot um you know obviously on a business side of things um you know there's a lot of people that you need to talk to and work out and pitch and whatnot but once you get to that point, and I think people know that you have the passion for it, um, it is successful, and I think it brings other people in, and I think that's been a part of it. So, uh, end of the day, Kent, I'd be doing this one way or the other. It's great to sort of figure some way out that uh, you know can put some food on the table and keep the lights <laughs> on and keep on having the fun that we're having. You know, there's a line that you used, Huss, uh, in your first answer where you said you just kind of said yes to opportunity over and over again. I love that. Um, and I love that you're the kind of guy that it just came natural for you to do that. Or maybe it didn't. I guess that's where I'm trying to get to with this question. I know for me personally, where I am now is a series of, of uh, uh, you know, decent choices. But a lot of times people opening doors for me saying you should go through this door because I think that you can go through this door. But I got to tell you, broadcast was not in my blood. It was not in my bones. I found it terrifying. I wasn't interested in doing it. You'll have a hard time finding a picture of me in my teenage years because if there was a camera around, I made sure I got on the, uh, on the opposite side of that camera. I didn't like showing up in media. Social media naturally to me is something that I don't feel comfortable sharing myself with. So when I think about your story and coming up and you're you know, you've got an arts degree and then you're working in sales and certain things behind the scenes. And someone suddenly comes up and says, hey, we want to do this show. We want to put you in front of cameras. We want to put you in front of a microphone. My initial thoughts and the things that would have held me back in my life is I would have been terrified of, of dead air or of doing something wrong on the camera and not making it work. I, I wonder, was it intrinsic in you to be able to just say yes to opportunity and go at it? Or what, what kind of fear were you maybe fighting when you made those early decisions? Honestly, Renny, not much. I mean, I had been, I'd come from a background where I kind of always was interested in that sort of stuff, but I never thought that I'd really have those chances to do anything because I didn't have the experience. There was other people in those positions that naturally would get looked at for. So, and to be honest, 
I mean, the 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 NFL Sunday ticket show with the guys over on Shaw was about as fun of a project as possible. And I mean, you know, when you're with Z and and Jim was the guy that I mean, I, I could tell you the story of the first time we met Jim Toth, which is I mean, it's a little bit of a longer story, but it is absolutely hilarious. He had no idea what was going on. His boss hadn't told him about this show or us or anything. And he meets us for the first time, like, what the hell is going on? But um, I didn't I didn't have a lot of fears or hesitation it, uh, to me it was just super exciting and um and then and listen if it if it sucked or it didn't go very far i mean there was no loss i mean i wasn't hanging like i had another job i was doing a bunch of things to me it was just uh it was it was a great uh opportunity so I mean, you know, I can see how that would be. And listen, I should say there have been some times where the gravity of the moment as we grew was like, holy smokes. I mean, doing a show and having Gary Bettman on before the first Jets game. I mean, those sort of mm. things are there. There were some definitely pinch me moments doing shows at the draft, introduce, interviewing Line A right after he was selected. I mean, you sort of get to that. But I don't know whether it was that I always had just a, a confidence that I could do it. Um, or the fact that, like, like this is the thing. So much of this, and this goes back to the fact that it is really natural. Like, these conversations, when we're talking about the Jets or the Blue Jays or whatever, I have been doing my entire life, the entire So I felt that this was the perfect thing. Like, there was no, there's no acting. As I said, it really didn't feel like work. So, you know, the like the radio thing, when, you know, the guys at Freak said, why don't you come over and uh, they uh, no, we did those at the uh, we, we did the <laughs> yeah the RFP is still out for that one, Kenny. I think, um, but yeah, no, I mean o overall it was uh, you know going in and you learned some new stuff. But I think those people and they they had already said, listen, we're getting you because of the people, the person that you are. You know, people like you, they like listening to you, and I think this will work. And I went in, I would record thing, a two-minute thing for the Turin Olympics. That's what I was originally doing. And once that was done, hey, getting some good feedback, would you want to jump in with the guys on the morning show? So before I go to work, I drive over there, I talk to the morning guys for a segment or two, and then I get out. Like, I think I, in a lot of ways, the step-by-step -step nature of it was was perfect for me, for someone that didn't have a lot of the experience, but probably had some natural ability to do it and bottom line was really interested and excited about it i mean to me honestly with anything and it would go with this it would go to sports it would go to i just think people that do well in whatever their chosen profession is and in life if you're happy and you're excited and you have some enthusiasm about it that actually does come through and um it did for what i did but it, honestly it did before when i was selling tickets for the jets or the moose I mean, I wasn't I wasn't telling anyone anything that I wasn't doing myself. So I think that's why it became so easy is that, um, you know, I wasn't learning. I wasn't talking about things outside my area of quote unquote expertise. These are the things that I did. And I, you know, I lived each and every day. So it was uh, it was a real natural progression, even though it was sort of an unconventional way to finally get to the end spot. Yeah, so anyone who knows knows you knows you're passionate and authentic. But you know, there's this also this element of being a man of the people. I mean, where does that part of your personality kind of come from, and how did it kind of grow over the years? You know what, Ken? That's a great question. I was always younger than everyone else in my classes, and I was not necessarily a lot smaller. But I mean, I was getting my ass kicked by my younger brother by the time we were about seven years old. So I think I had to realize that. 
you know, in the mean streets of elementary school and whatnot. <laughs> I think I got used to, uh, I, I think, what up, Ben? I think I got uh, uh, into a situation where I kind of had to use my mouth and personality more than, um, than before. But I guess the other part of it is I just sort of leaned into it. I mean, I've got so much respect for, and I always joke about the big J journals and you guys like the journalists out there because there is a thing, but I, I really did think, and I think this maybe goes back to, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Bill Simmons, but following his career from the start, the way he sort of, I mean, he was brilliant and he was doing a lot of work and he was coming with some very, very valuable information, but he did it at the same time where he was unaba an unabashed Patriots fan. And he would tell you exactly how he feels. And, I always said to Gary that, you know, all this stuff, I'm a journalist. I don't care who wins. I'm just cheering for the story. I always claimed that that was BS. Now, the good ones will tell you that is true. And I do believe that it is true. I was kind of also trying to get with him. But I mean, <laughs> the nature of sports is that, I mean, and people I think that are attracted to it, do it for, and listen, that's got to be a real tough time if you're getting into those situations and all of a sudden you have to change who you are and put, hey, I grew up for 20 years as a Maple Leafs fan. Now I'm covering the Leafs and I've got to be kind of stand off of it. And I don't know, it didn't make a lot of sense to me, but that sort of thing and seeing people that were opening up those roots for maybe a different type of person to talk about these topics. And again, when we're talking about sports radio, it all goes back. These are bar top conversations that you're having with your buddies on the topics. And I think sort of leading into and not like I could have said, I could have tried to be the big J journal, but it would have been so not authentic. I don't think it would have ever worked because it frankly would have been BS. You know, I'm glad you went in that direction because I, I think, and I've always thought this, uh, and I guess I would be like the journalist guy in this equation. I've always thought it's really important to kind of bury your loyalties and kind of sever ties with your loyalties once you got into this. Because the one thing that drives me nuts is when I, you know, I'm on fan blogs or something like that, and you see someone like barking an opinion, and that opinion is clearly so colored by what they're saying. I mean, I remember, I remember early on when Jacob Trubo is here and there was a, I forget where I saw it, but they were they were going defenseman to defenseman through the league and saying who's better than Jacob Truba, and they'd landed on the fact that Jacob Truba was the eighth best defenseman in the NHL, and it was just it blew my mind. It was such BS, and they were like, oh, he's better than this guy, and he's better than this guy. And it was just clearly fans who were who were gaga over this team, and so their decision was so like through. Blue, blue tinted glasses. So that's the one thing I'd say that's important for you is because the one thing I take away from you is clearly you, you, we know where your loyalties lie. We know you're a Winnipeg booster, but you, when I get on your show at times can be as harsh as anyone on the jets and where their, where their problems lie. So, and, and same thing with the bombers, same thing with everyone. So hmm. how have you been able to maintain kind of, the, the feelings that you have for the teams that you cover, but still been able to call a spade a spade in at the time when you need to, because it's not easy to do. No, no, it isn't. It's a great question, Sean. And I, I think especially through, I mean, once Gary and I started doing it every single day, you know, you really learn the ins and outs of what people are expecting from you and why they're coming there every day. And listen, you got to have a personal connection with your listeners and, and viewers. And I've certainly been able to build that up. But I knew that full pledge, if I'm just sitting here going up every day, even people know that I, there's nothing I want more than the team to be successful and to win games and everyone to be happy and leave the building, you know, going for a beer afterwards, talking about a great win. 
you still have to be honest. I mean, you still, you can't be sitting there telling someone, I mean, hey, everyone that watches our show, they're watching the games too. Like, I'll give my thoughts and I'll give my opinions on whatnot and I'll try and base it on what I saw for a reason. But the minute you start getting into, um, you know, like, you know, that quote, like, um, you know, carrying water, like making excuses <laughs> for people and things like that, then I think they're, the the respect of the people that come there for a particular reason gets eroded a little bit. And listen, Agreed. I'm the first one to say, like, I'll back Connor Hellebuck in a bit of a r- rough stretch. I'm the first one to say I think he's been the most important player on this team for a long time. He's great, and they know that I'm a supporter of him. But at the same time, if he stinks for a game, I can't basically sit there and say that that wasn't the case. So, I mean, I think you have to be grounded in reality. Um, But I do think that at least in my small little piece that I've carved out with what we're doing, I think people appreciate that for the most part, I'm coming from the same place that they are and trying to use the experience that I've had from doing this to, you know, tell the story or tell the, you know, get into the topics that are important to everyone um, and do it in a fair way. But at the same time, not trying to, you know, sugarcoat or, or basically cover up the fact that the reason I'm saying all these things is because I, like most of the people listening, want what's best for our Winnipeg teams that we're usually talking about. And how speaking of that building process, uh, what's it been like to see the growth and the way the community has rallied around Winnipeg Sports Talk here since you got it up? Well, listen, I mean, I had so many thank yous to say. And I mean, this even dates back to before. I mean, obviously, most people know I had a real rough run health-wise at the end of 2020. And, you know, feeling the support and how much I was missed on the air every day during that time, just through people reaching out, text and social media, that helped me a, a great deal and was a big part of me coming back um, as early as I did. I had a schedule because, again, I mean, we're talking about a back injury. I mean, as I always said, we're not digging ditches in these jobs, right? Mm-hmm. We're sitting here in a chair talking about it, so we could basically do it. But um, when everything happened, uh, the outpouring of how important the station and those voices were was heard loud and clear. And, um, you know, diving in head first and trying to make a go of this was very daunting. But once we got going, I mean, from the first video I put out announcing that we were doing it to the people in the first show that came out to the sponsors that jumped on board with us before we'd even done a single show just with an idea then they believed in us it's been it's been overwhelming and as i say every day i mean it doesn't happen without the support of the people first and foremost uh but also with some people behind us and um you know it's been incredibly rewarding um and and i do say this i mean as bad of a day as feb 9 of 2021 was um in a way it's been and it 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 took me a very short period of time, Ken, to realize that this actually is an incredible opportunity. And uh, we dove in it, and um, it's been more fun than I could have imagined uh, to have that control uh, over doing our own thing, to be able to connect and go back and forth with people. Um, you know, the, every day doing it has just been its been amazing. And it does come down to the support of both people from, uh, you know, the people, listeners, viewers, as well as um business community because if there's one thing we realize that you know and we're seeing it unfortunately more and more in more venues i mean this uh the media landscape has changed so much advertising dollars are being moved and changed around and when that happens a lot of times it's talented people get whacked and it happened here it's happening over and over again and uh 
you know, stuff like what we're doing right now doesn't happen without a great response and feedback from people with what we're doing on the shows, as well as people, uh, you know, supporting them and hopefully their message will get to it. And I know you guys have found this too, with the great, you know, with getting Cambrian and Johnson group on right now. I mean, the people that are supporting our shows are incredibly loyal because they know what they lost and the fact that we're coming back doing our best to provide a lot of this content on the backs of the likes of Royal and BP and Not and DQ that were with us from day one before we even did a show, they have showed their appreciation to those. And uh, it's a, honestly a perfect fit. And I think it bodes very well for this medium and shows like ours and yours going into next season and beyond. Absolutely well said, Huss. Uh, Huss, we got to leave it there, which kills me because, I mean, I've got a sheet full of stuff I want to ask you here, and I scribbled off two lines off that sheet. you got to promise to come back for us here because uh, we've got a lot to dig in here. Yeah, Anytime. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. That's good stuff. Uh, we'll we'll book you for the uh, for the three thirty five slot. So we you got a little bit of time to come off the show. I know it takes a little bit of getting your mind back in order when you got to host guys like Ken here. It can be emotionally draining. So uh, we'll give you a Listen, little more time. The, time. the buffet was full on WST. We added a few more plates here on K and R, and I got into it. And uh, hey, it was fun. No, honestly, guys, well, I always want to give you guys a. Um, a, a big congratulations because i don't know if people understand the work that you guys have put into making those post game shows happen i mean between travel i mean think about where you guys have been i mean just arranging to be in a spot at the time and you know it has become um you know i mean for myself and take myself of what i'm doing from winnipeg sports talk but as a jets fan I mean, that is must-listen stuff. I mean, usually I'm catching it when it's live, but if not, a little bit later on. And um, it's a huge, huge part of, uh, you know, of filling that void. And, I mean, the work you guys have put in, it's great just seeing how things have turned out, the support that you guys have had that everyone's having right now. And tell you what, I'm looking forward to the shows on the weekend, but very much looking forward to uh, what you guys have to come in the past because I think uh, you guys are just getting started. Well, we appreciate the kind words, and you're entirely right. Uh, we are lucky to have the support that we have from, from not only our sponsors, but the fans have been, uh, and the people who are viewers are just absolutely phenomenal. Thanks, Huss. We're going to do this again. Can't wait to have you on. Keep doing what you do. You're the best. My pleasure, guys. Thanks so much. Enjoy your weekend, Mamel. And from one of the best to another one of the best, our main man, Brian Munz, who I've been wanting to have on this show for quite a long time. It's good to see you, my friend. Uh, we we want to dig into the long road that you've taken. And I think I, it's funny. I've, we've had a lot of these conversations. We had John Bartlett on, and we we're talking yep. about kind of the road that he traveled to get to where he got to. One of the things that I've really appreciated uh, and I'm thankful for in the time that I've been doing this job here in Winnipeg is kind of what, watching the difference between me jumping in right at the NHL level. I used to do news. I jumped in at the NHL level. But seeing the interactions that you have, a guy who was in the trenches from the time he was a very, very young man coming up through the, you know, the sports media landscape, right from, you know, the small towns, right to the, to, to the big leagues. Um, give me an idea of how you started in the business and what took you there. Well, I didn't know we were going to go into a day in the life. I think he's calling me old already, Weber. And you're older <laughs> than me. That's right. That's right. Briefly, right. but yes. No, hey, uh, good to catch up with you guys. Always fun to watch uh, Huss as well. Uh, you know what, Sean? For me, it uh, started much like the players. I knew at a young age 
playing outdoor hockey. I'm here in Regina right now getting ready for the ice and the pats coming up here this weekend. Uh, I was born in Regina, then we moved to uh, Saskatoon for a year back in Regina and then to Humboldt for high school where my family has lived ever since. And I knew at an early age, I never really played organized hockey. I was never on young teams, but I played a ton outside. And uh, our house in Regina, we had a a lake right at the end of the street and we would go out there right after school and we'd be there until dark. And obviously living in Humboldt, you had pretty good access to uh, the arena there and continued to just play with my buddies for the love of the game and knew pretty quick that I was never going to be very good. So kind of looked at the next avenue and it's funny that uh, we're kind of doing this interview here in Regina because when I was a young kid growing up, Peter Lubardius, good friend of Weaver's and, and yours as well, was uh, the voice of the Pats. And I just reached out to him one day and said, hey, this is what I think I want to do. Can I come hang out? And he was more than willing to let me come sit up in the booth with him. And once I kind of got a taste and a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look as to what he was doing at this level here in the Western League, I was hooked. And, uh, yeah, the WHL was my NHL. If once I ever got a chance to play or to be a broadcaster in the Western Hockey League, that was uh, my home run. And then obviously was able to get a little bit further than that. But uh, yeah, Cole's notes uh, couldn't play. So I'm doing the next best thing. <laughs> Brian, uh, what some people don't know your, your road included the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. Uh, yeah. you know, and it's some people also don't know that we almost were, were, were riding buses, not together, but in the same places. I mean, I almost ended up in Weyburn when you were in Nipawin and, uh, doing those sorts of things, and I chose the newspaper route. But what can you say about the value of those reps and maybe let people know, you know, I think you were covering as many as three different teams that year and what, what yeah. that process was like when, you know, you're not just focusing in on one team, but the value of having the reps at that level. Because, again, we know that a lot of people want to just start at the NHL level, but that's not the way that it works. No. Um, so my first job was in Duncan, B.C. I was only out there for about 15 months. I was doing news and sports and literally back then sent cassette tapes out to pretty much every small radio station through Manitoba, Alberta, Saskatchewan, BC. And just out of the blue, I got a, a phone call one day from uh, the station manager in Duncan, which is for those that don't know, right between Victoria and Nanaimo on Vancouver Island. And being a prairie kid that had never been anywhere like that in my life, I thought, hey, you know what, here's a chance, let's go for it. So I was out there for one year, and then when the opportunity came to go to Melford, which is an hour outside of Humboldt, and Weber, as you mentioned, uh, CJVR Radio was the voice of the Humboldt Broncos, the Melford Mustangs, and the Nippon Hawks. Uh, we did all three teams. Neil Shuchek was the sports director at the time. And between the two of us, my first year in 1995-96, they hosted the Royal Bank Cup, now the Centennial Cup. So we did 144 hockey games that year, right from start right to the RBC final, which Vernon snuck away and, and was able to beat Melford. And obviously I'm still a little bitter about that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know what? It it really was the the best opportunity because I was calling games four or five nights a week, right? And when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, like I was the same age as the players. So I had the best of both worlds because I could hang out with the players and Actually, a friend of mine that uh, works here in Regina, I saw him last night. Like he was, those are the guys that you, you know, those are some of my best friends from today. Like guys that were in Melfort, Nipple and Humboldt, and then PA after that, I probably talked to them more than anybody. 
and uh, the majority of them aren't even in the game anymore. Uh, so those are the uh, the friendships, and you guys know this from from junior hockey and different teams that you're all involved with. You spend more time with them uh, during a winter than you do with any of your family, and you know them probably better than than your family gets to know you when you leave home. So uh, special memories, obviously, through junior hockey, and and that's what really excited me about this. Obviously, as Huss was talking about when things went down at uh, the radio station where we were all looking for something, when the door opened, I jumped in both feet. Hey, I want this bad because I remembered the fun times of it. And I'm sure we'll get to that a little bit later on. But it's just as fun now that I'm a few days away from turning 47 compared to when I was 18, 19, 20 years old doing it. Yeah, we will get to that. And I don't want to ignore that topic because we're going to get there. But I want to kind of close this one out. You talked about a number of the guys that you know from back in those days aren't in hockey anymore. And those relationships are strong. But I always, when I had the opportunity to work with you uh, uh, for Jets games, and we'd be waiting for the opposition teams to come rolling in. And every once in a while, there'd be someone who'd come in and they'd be like, Munzee, and they'd come walking over, and you guys would have your secret little handshakes and all the kind of stuff that you did, and and uh, and I'd always kind of talk to you. Well, where do you know this guy from? And you know, a lot of times it would date back to like a bus that you took somewhere, you know, on a frozen, cold winter day in 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 Saskatchewan. And I wanted to kind of get you to explain, if you could, what it is about those experiences that make those experiences so strong and the trust so deep. I think at the end of the day, it's just the amount of time you spend together, right? Like you're you're always together. And it's not necessarily just in a, a work scenario where you're doing interviews, right? Like you're traveling with the team. So whether it's in junior on the bus or whether it was – with the moose, whether you're on a bus or a plane and you're hanging out at the airports or whether you were doing the same thing with the jets, you build those relationships. And you know what? There's guys that you don't build those relationships with. There's some players that want to do the interview and then don't want anything else to do with you, which is fine. Like I got enough friends. It's, it's good. Um, But I think the bond that is there is the trust that you grow. And if you're the team broadcaster, I think that's really important because It's not only the players, it's the coaches, it's the training staff, it's the support staff, the people that nobody sees uh, sometimes or maybe they see them, but they don't get all the headlines and and the, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, the players get from from the fans, right? Like it's it takes so many people to get things done behind the scenes. And I think you all appreciate that. And uh, you know what? I I do find a lot of those uh relationships i guess really special because again like i've done this now for 27 28 years and you do stay in touch you you lose touch with a lot of people as well because we're all busy you get families and you don't have as much downtime that uh, you maybe did 20 years ago but um i think it's just either you you know what you hit it off with some people and uh and you have great visits and other ones it's just a hey quick how are you? Good. How's your family? Great. And, and you kind of move on. But uh, it's the relationships. And, you know, when again, we kind of go back to what what Huss was talking about earlier, when when things happened, you it was amazing the number of guys and gals that uh, that reached out that you would have never thought you hear from. And then, you know, you kind of rekindle some of those uh, friendships and conversations again. And it feels like that you're 18 to 20 years old. And I guess the fun thing for me on it too, Sean, was uh, 
I was young then, right? Like I was the same age as, as a lot of the players and, and the coaches back then, you know, there was some of the older guys, but uh, you know, in junior hockey, it's a lot of coaches and trainers and that kind of stuff that are just getting their start. So you're all in the same boat. Like you're trying to figure out exactly what you should and shouldn't be doing. And, and that, uh, that relationship just carries on. But I, I think it's all about, you know, the amount of time you spend behind the scenes and uh, just being a group of guys that are out having fun and just enjoying themselves when, uh, when the bright lights and the, and the microphones aren't on. The other thing too, Brian, on the road to the NHL, uh, I mean, some people we like to try to help inform them on the terms of their decisions. I mean, last week, Ken Reed was on telling us how he loved doing play-by-play, but then the opportunity to work in an NHL market came out and then he ended up never doing play-by-play again. I mean, I'm curious for what went into your decision-making process. I mean, you spent the year with with the Oilers and on more of the pregame show and the post. Uh, What was it like to kind of make that decision to kind of put the play-by-play aspirations on hold momentarily? Um, well, at that point, it was kind of the only option for, uh, for a brief moment there, because, uh, you know, when I left Prince Albert to go to Edmonton to do the Roadrunner games in the American Hockey League, that was the lockout year. And, uh, so, you know, I'd been in PA for four years and I think like everybody, when you're trying to climb the ladder, you might want to fast forward things maybe quicker than you should. Um, and that's probably one of the big things that I, I tell so many of the young guys now that are either in the SJ or the MJHL or even guys that I see now in the WHL, like enjoy where you're at, because, you know, if you get a chance to, to go somewhere, obviously you take it, but don't try and fast forward or don't downgrade where you are at the present time. Uh, just trying to look ahead to get your next job because, you know, you're not probably doing the, the right thing for your current position you're in. So for me, um, you know, I, I'd been in Edmonton for one year. I got to see the excitement of what the NHL was like for the first time. And, you know, we were in Rexall place, Jared Stoll, Rafi Torres. Um, those were kind of the main two NHL guys that were down with the Roadrunners then. Um, it was uh, just a group of young guys, but all the Oiler coaches were there all the time, like Craig McTavish, Charlie Huddy, Craig Simpson, Billy Moores, uh, Kevin Lowe, the GM, like they all just hung out because they had nothing to do. They, everybody was in the lockout, right? So you build a, and we kind of talk about relationships, like you, you build a camaraderie with those guys. And then when they decided that the Roadrunners were not going to continue at Edmonton, I still wanted to be around there. And, uh, and I got lucky because Sid Smith, who was the program director at 630 Chad that does the Oiler games on the radio, decided that he didn't want to do the pre and post anymore. And uh, he was more on the management side. He was the program director of the station and he was busy and, and, uh, and gave that up. So he was kind enough to allow me to jump on with Morley Scott. And we kind of co-hosted the thing. And I stayed at the studio when Morley was on the road, kind of what, uh, you know, kind of what Kevin O and I are doing right now with, uh, with the ice. And that's actually kind of where I got the idea of the format we use here with Winnipeg right now. And uh, yeah, so just kind of took a chance at it. We all did the 30-minute pregame show or however long your pregame show was in junior, but had never done an hour and a half show. You know, I'm not a guy like Rick Ralph that can go and sit in a room and talk to myself for four hours and entertain everybody. <laughs> like, it, it marvels me how he and Huss and guys like that can do it because I think the three of us are more like, I can tell you about something for 
two, three minutes, but we're probably better at explaining something that's going on in a live sporting event at, uh, at that point. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, when uh, the opportunity presented itself, when, uh, when Kelly Moore was leaving um, to go to Kamloops, the moose job came, or the moose jaw came open job. And, um, and again, I jumped at it. Vic Grant uh, reached out through some mutual friends and uh, here we are. What is it now? 17, 17, 18 years later, uh, I've been at Winnipeg. So that leads us right into this question that Kenny's water bottle has, where he's asking, how did Munns feel broadcasting that first Jet season in 2011? I want to build this up a little bit because I know I was doing news at the time. Yeah. And I remember there was just once every three months I'd get sent out to do a, are the Winnipeg Jets coming back story, right? You'd get all these little things. And I remember the first time that I thought, wait a minute, this is actually going to happen. A source of mine who had, uh, you know, a luxury box at the Moose game told me that he'd been asked by, you know, the ownership group with the Jets uh, or by True North if they'd be willing to upgrade and spend the money to an nhl size package for the suite. So we knew that if these people were being asked that there was a real possibility this is going to happen. Regardless, I think it's such a unique situation to be in a city that loves something as much as Winnipeg loves hockey to lose the NHL and to get it back when there's these, you know, this idea of will they, won't they uh, for so long, kind of like the Ross and Rachel first kiss. That's a terrible, uh, that's a terrible way for me to frame that. But to get to it, just for you, that moment when you realized that it was happening, they were coming, that you were going to the big leagues. Give me an idea of what it felt for someone who not only you know was invested in this city, but was invested with the team, the organization, and the sport. Well, boy, Weaver, how many times <laughs> did we have that conversation through our five years together with the Moose? Right, like the last couple of years of moose hockey that seemed to be the common trend like when are the arizona coyotes coming are you guys getting them back or what's going on in atlanta or whatever and it was uh it was the hot button topic of conversation but also the big part about that was the moose were so successful that everybody in the hockey world knew because of how good like the moose were at that point considered the 31st franchise in the nhl right like they were other than playing in the league, like they did everything NHL caliber. So that I think excited us that, okay, you know, this is what it's like, except for now, you know, instead of going to Hamilton or St. John's, you're going to get a chance to go to Tampa and Dallas, right? Like this, this is finally here. So um, the day of the announcement um, was interesting because or the day I guess they announced the team was coming, I was doing the morning sports and Scott Brown, who's still the PR guy with the Jets, you know, I was in contact with him all the time. I think like everybody, like you guys were and all that kind of stuff. And there was no updates, no updates, no updates. And then it was like 6.20 or 6.30 in the morning. Um, Brownie phoned me on the at the radio station and said, hey, um, something's coming up in the next half hour kind of deal. So then it was full bore, you know, away we went. And um, it was awesome, like, just to see the excitement. But for me, kind of, like, I was so excited about the NHL coming, but I love my time with the Moose. Like, we talk about the relationships with those guys. Um, like, Mike Keane, Nolan Baumgartner, Corey Schneider, Mark Fistrick. Like, I can list you 15 guys. Michael Grabner, um, Eddie Lack. 
all those guys, like you're friends with those guys. And again, like Weber and I were still kind of around that same age, right? So we'd hang with Scott Arneal and the trainers and whoever the assistant coaches were at that point, but may have found ourselves at the odd establishment with players once or twice too, right? So you could kind of go back and forth and you could, uh, you could have some fun with it. And uh, so as, as exciting as it was to have the NHL, like, I was disappointed the moose were were done. So um yeah, but uh obviously things have moved forward. We got all three teams now with the with the Jets, the Ice and the Moose. But um I guess the the other part that was was weird for us is we didn't know what the broadcast situation was going to be like. And we didn't find out that until mid-August. Actually, I was away in Edmonton with my uh with my wife at uh, at her parents' place when when we found out that 1290 was going to go big time sports and that they had got the rights. Like we were all shocked that uh, CJOB didn't get it because Garth Butchko at the time was the GM at CJOB. Vic Grant was the program director and, and Bob Irving was obviously the sports director. And they pulled me into a meeting. I want to say it was late June, early July and just more or less said, Hey, um, we don't have the rights yet. We think we're going to get it. You're going to hear a lot of rumors, but you're our guy. So don't worry about what you're going to hear. And so you kind of think, okay, like this is going to happen, but then it dragged on and on and on. And, and eventually obviously it didn't. So then you're like, okay, now what? And then obviously, you know, Chris Brook had a conversation with him and, uh, and he brought me across the street from CJOB to 1290 and, and away we went. So it was, in my in my long-winded story here of kind of how different things progressed, there was lots of roller coasters and there was a lot of sleepless nights, but there was a lot of excitement that NHL hockey was coming back to Winnipeg, and I knew somehow I would hopefully be a part of it because if even if I didn't get the play-by-play job, I would have been at CJOB and and covering the team on a daily basis. So uh, that was quite the ride. No kidding. You, you talk about the Man, we had a lot of bus rides and a lot of time in the rental car uh, over the years and in, in, in the American Hockey League. Lots of fun some there, driving, for sure. sleeping. <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of the driving. Uh, we, won't, we won't get into your navigational skills uh, at this point in time, but uh, what's it been like to, you know, to be on the buses again and enjoying the Western Hockey League and the, and the season that the Winnipeg Ice are having here? Brian, obviously, been one of the top-ranked teams in the NHL all year long. you got a couple of guys who could go in the top 10. But a team that's pursuing a you know a Western Hockey League championship here as, as the playoffs get set to open up uh, you know next weekend. Yeah, it's been awesome. Like it, it's been so much fun, and I mentioned this off the start. Like there was no hesitation for me to take this job. Like people are like, you like going back on the bus? Like you've been there, you've done that. I love it. Like it, it's so much fun. And the intriguing part about the whole scenario for me was I didn't really know well anybody in the organization except for josh green our assistant coach like i knew who james patrick was we'd say hello to each other obviously scott arneal is a mutual friend of of both of us mark habshad the coach in pa played with jeep as well uh for team canada so though both of those guys are you're gonna love the coaching staff I'm like okay well i know one because i'm friends with them already we golf and, and hang out and that kind of stuff. But, and I'd heard of some of the players, but again, I think I'd been to four or five ice games the first year. And then obviously they didn't play in Winnipeg last year. 
So um, I watched some of the games online because of my friendship with Don McGilvery. Our families are super tight, and now he's the arch rival on the other side. But uh, it uh, it was neat. And then when uh, again when when the position came open, I I called Mac Heisinger quick and said, "Hey, would you be interested?" Because I am, and I think our conversation might have been three minutes, and it was more or less. Um, if you're interested, we think we want you and let's go for lunch. And, uh, again, kind of the rest is history, but it's been so much fun. You see the excitement of the players at this age right now, like 15 to 20 years old, uh, the bright eyes, the excitement of what lies ahead. And then you also remember like my son's 11 and he's not that far away from the 15, 16 year olds. And you see these guys off the ice just in their shorts and T-shirt and their suits when you're walking around on the bus or whatever it is, and and they're just kids. Like, it, it, it makes you young again. Like, it really does. You you sit and you laugh and you think back to 20, 25 years ago when you were in that scenario and, you know, they're they're telling the same stories and they're going through the, the same things that, that you did. But I think the nice part about it for me is I've been to the elite so I've got a pretty good idea of what lies ahead for them. So I feel I've been able to help a lot of those guys. And, you know, Weaver, you talked about Savoy and Geeky this year for the draft. Like I've had a lot of NHL teams and people around the league reaching out, just trying to get some background on them because they know I'm, I'm around the team. Like our closest bus ride is seven hours, right? Well, other yeah. than Brandon, but uh we spend a lot of time on the bus and uh, and you get to know these kids and their families really well. And, you know, the training staff is the same thing. We've got, uh, you know, two medical guys and an equipment guy that, you know, you don't have a big staff that uh, the NHL teams or the American leagues do. And everybody's grabbing a bag when you get off the bus at three in the morning and dragging it into the rink. And, and we're all having a lot of fun with it and throwing the fact that they won 50 plus games. Uh, it's kind of been fun too. Well, that's what I was going to ask is, you know, Ken and I have been pumping this team's tires. Oh, they don't need it. It's a self-inflating tire with this team. They, <laughs> their, their results speak for themselves. But you've seen so much in the time, you know, what was it, 28 years that, uh, that you've been covering hockey. Um, what are we seeing right now with this ice team? What makes them special? Well, I think, Sean, not to steal your word, but they're special. Like, I probably should have a better word than that because I'm their voice, but uh, you know, it, it's a unique group that, uh, you know, Matt Cockle and Jake Heisinger have brought a lot of really good kids who are exceptional hockey players together. And it's been a process. Like I've talked to everybody behind the scenes and, you know, junior hockey is cyclical. They went through some tough times in Cranbrook and you guys can look at the standings and see the wins and the losses and that kind of stuff that, some of the older players now, like the three twenty-year-olds that'll graduate after this year, Cole Muir, Nolan Orzek, and Jake and Smallwood, like those guys went through some through some tough times, like win-loss-wise. But uh, the way that James Patrick and his coaching staff have got these guys mentally prepared, like yeah, they've won what is it, fifty-one or fifty-two games, whatever they're at here right now. Um, like there's no there's no difference. Like they got beaten Moose Jaw two weekends ago now where they gave up for the first time this year, they lost the game with like 20 seconds left and they were mad. Like it's, you know, I walked down to the room thinking, okay, what, what am I going to walk into here? Because they haven't really faced that this year yet. And 
they've gone 17 games without losing in regulation. So how is this going to be handled? And they were pissed. Like they were, they were not happy. They lost a game. So it, uh, it, it's a really special group of guys. Obviously you look at the, the positions all the way through and, you know, they've got depth and they've got youth that uh, have excelled, whether it's, you know, the 16 year old hockey players like Daniel, and I'm not going to mention everybody here, obviously, but you look at the year that Daniel Hauser has had with the injury to Gage Alexander, he's had to grab the ball and run with it. Um, you know, you think of the Savoy and the Geekies and the Bensons, and then the older players like, you know, the Mikey Milnes, and I mentioned the 20 year olds that are there, Carson Lambos, obviously, Connor McLennan, like they've got uh, a really unique group of guys that all get along too. Like that's the other thing that it, you know, you're in pro sports and there might be some different uh, characters that don't necessarily mix or always hang out together or they've got their own agenda, whatever it may be. This is a tight group of guys that uh, that love hanging out together and, you know, pull pranks and just be kids together when uh, when they're off the ice. So it's it's been fun to watch and obviously want to get through these last two games here against Regatta coming up and then uh, so excited because – the other part about it too, and the thing that I didn't really think about until I was actually doing some of this homework last night, they've only got two players that have Western Hockey League experience in the playoffs, mm-hmm. right? Like they haven't had postseason hockey because of the pandemic for the last couple of years for these guys. So I think uh, we're all geared up for Friday. We're just kind of waiting to see who it's going to be against. Yeah, and maybe for the folks who aren't paying as close attention, uh, Brian, what, what are the scenarios in terms of playoff opponent and when things will be getting rolling here? Yeah, so right now there's uh, four teams as I uh, pull up my list here and everybody plays this weekend. So it's going to be one of Swift Current, Calgary, Regina, or Prince Albert. There's still four options right now. Swift Current's got a one-point lead over Calgary. Uh, Regina and Prince Albert are one point back of, of Calgary. So literally four teams right now are separated by two points. Uh, Swift Current and Calgary only have one game remaining. Regina's got three, two against Winnipeg, and they play Moose Jaw on Sunday here. So they've got three in a row this weekend. And then uh, Prince Albert plays in Swift Current tomorrow and uh, at home against Brandon on Saturday. So it's uh, it's intriguing to see how this uh, whole thing is shaking out. It's hard to believe that it's coming right down to the weekend. And there could be a three-way tie. like, And then you're going to have to get into tiebreaker scenarios and Goals for, goals against. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, Munzi, I wanted to get your insight in, into this. I, I know you're not a scout, but I want you to give us an idea. Of, we already know Lambos uh, has already been taken. He's going to be special. Then we hear about the Geekies and the Savoys. Um, and then, you know, we you got Benson coming, not this year, but next year, uh, draft eligible. Uh, and I'm going to get you to uh, throw uh, Bedard in from 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 Regina because you're there right now. But give me an idea. Are, are, are we going to see all these guys in the NHL? And if we do, how many of them are going to be the kind of guys that when you, you know, drive ticket sales? Well, they're the faces of the franchises. There's no doubt. Um, you know, the buzz that is, or maybe we'll go to the, the local guy here first before we get to, to all the Winnipeg guys. But, you know, Connor Bedard's been a special story this year. It's, uh, it's crazy to think that at, and it's not just necessarily him, but there's a class of about five or six 16-year-olds that are through Regina, Winnipeg, Moose Jaw, Saskatoon right now. You've got uh, Bedard 
and Tanner Howe here with Regina. You've got Zach Benson in Winnipeg. You've got um, Jaeger in Moose Jaw, and you've got Lazowski, I think it is, in Saskatoon. Like These kids are all projected to be first-round draft picks, as you mentioned, Sean, not this year in July, but the following year after that. So um, they're they're driving the excitement for their communities and for their teams right now. And everywhere you go here in Regina, there's Connor Bedard, 98 posters and banners. And he is, he's the face of the franchise. Like he's, and for that matter, he's the face of the league, right? Like I was looking at this here as well today, uh, since he's come back from the world juniors, let me find it here real quick. He has played 35 games for the Pats since coming back from Canada. He has 35 goals, 68 points. There's only been 12 games this year that he's not registered at least one point in. Four of those have come against Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he's he's dynamic. Like, when you give him room, he is he's amazing. Like, he, he really is. So, Winnipeg's played a good team game against him so far, and they'll have to tomorrow because he wants 50. That's the story here right now around Regina and I think around the league is, you know, can he get to 50 goals coming uh, – into the final weekend of the season. Keep going on the uh, in your guys. Yeah, you know what? Uh, like, where do we start? Let me just throw my roster up in front of me here, so I don't feel like I'm I'm leaving anybody out. Uh, you know, you mentioned Lambos; that's a draft pick right now from Minnesota. Connor McLennan's a draft pick of Philadelphia. Gage Alexander's a draft pick of uh, of Anaheim. So those are the three drafted players that uh, they have inside the organization, and then. You know, you guys alluded to Savoy and Geeky that will be first-round draft picks this year and and probably top 10, and two totally different players, too. Like, people always say, compare the two. You can't. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're, they're just that special, that unique. And it's the same off the ice as well. Like, Connor's a little bit more outgoing, goofy, small-town kid. Um, you know, Matt's more of Edmonton. He's kind of been dealing with this whole deal since – he was 11, 12 years old, so he's been under the radar, kind of like what Crosby, McKinnon, all the players in the past have, have kind of gone through. So I think he had a little bit of a head start on the whole media kind of thing and, and what you needed to do. But, you know, both guys have handled it so well this year. Um, you know, Max Struhl played for Switzerland at the World Junior Hockey Championships. You know, I mentioned Mikey Millen. They brought Jack Finley in from uh, Spokane. He's a Tampa Bay draft pick as well. as uh, So you look at there's four NHL draft picks that uh, – that are on this team and he's really solidified things down the middle. Like he's six foot six, 200 plus pounds that uh, when he's kind of in a spot, nobody's going to move him. Then you've got Nolan Orzik and uh, you know, they brought Tanner Brown in from Vancouver who's shown that he can be a really good top four defenseman in this league, whether he's playing alongside a Ben Zelotti or a Nolan Orzek, or right now he's playing with Carson Lambos. So to where we were probably, you know, 10 minutes ago in this conversation is they're so deep that, uh, you know, they make it hard on, on other teams. And, and the other thing that I look at here too, that I forget about, and I got to literally keep reminding myself about it during the games is if you want to focus on just those three young guys, because they're the ones that kind of have the spotlight on them right now with the draft this year and next year, Benson 16, Savoy and geeky are both 17 they're playing against 19 and 20 year olds every night, right? Like they're going up against players that have been in the league for three, four years. So not only have they excelled at their age, but they're doing it against, uh, you know, players that are older than them, stronger than them, 
more wise about what the Western Hockey League is all about, that, uh, you know, they've handled this thing with a plum. Ken, you got anything? What about Jay? Quick thought on James Patrick uh, and the job that he's done, Brian. I mean, I know that he, you know, he has a great pedigree as a player and he's spent a lot of time in the NHL as an assistant, but what's made him the, the right voice uh, to lead this group? I think for me, his, his passion and the way he interacts with people. Like, and you guys know this from Paul Maurice. Like the way that they can gravitate your attention when they're up speaking in a room, James Patrick's that exact same thing. Again, like I didn't really know him coming in here. And like, I'm not just saying this, but I would put him in my top two or three coaches I've ever dealt with. And I've dealt with him for, what is it, six months that we've had right now? Just the the demeanor that he has, um, the importance that he puts, I think, on on the building of the relationships with everybody that's inside the organization, not just the hockey standpoint, but, you know, understanding, again, these they're 15 to 20 year old junior hockey players that are young men right now that will leave this organization as as an adult. And, uh you know, what they're doing away from the game is is just as important for the entire organization. And that comes right from ownership all the way down through your coaching staff that, uh, you know, for the parents that, that drop their kid off at the rink when they're 15, 16 and, you know, have tears in their eyes because they're losing their baby for mm-hmm. for the hockey season, that, uh, that they know they've got good people that uh, they're looking after their son, not just the athletes. So I think it's... Uh, you know, I, I think it's just the way James is just with, uh, you know, and again, kind of what we had talked about for me a little bit earlier is, is he's seen the next level. Like he's lived it as a player. You look at the resume speaks for itself when he played and then his coaching career uh, as an assistant coach, like he knows and Josh Green knows because they've been there, what it takes to get to the next level. Like, it's not just, okay, I think you need to do this, this, this. It's no. You have to do this if you want to get there because, like, think of and, – and Weber, and I don't mean to disclose you on this one, Sean, but, you know, Weber, early in, in the Jets years when Nikolai Ehlers came here, like, Paul Maurice always talked about how he'd be looping around the ice and, you know, you could have a – he could have a 90-second shift. Well, here right now with the ice, these guys can do that too. Like, they could play as long as they want, but you've got to be able to get in get out 30, 40 seconds and – get in that mentality that, you know, when you're done your junior career, you're ready for the next level because it's not easy. That's good stuff. Um, I hope I'm not keeping you too long, Munzi, but I figured I have nothing to do. All right. I, I wanted to chat with you about this. So you're an SJHL hall of famer. Um, you said you went to high school in Humboldt. So clearly you've got connections with that city, with the Humboldt Broncos. Uh, we all know that the anniversary of the bus crash was just a little while ago. There's always a moment that stands out to me when I worked with you. It was a hockey night in Canada game and it was after that happened. Um, and, uh, you know, you'd done a really good job of honoring that team and those boys. And I remember Greg Millen, who I have miles of respect for walked in, uh, and saw you and he very somberly gave you a head nod and it said, great job, young man. I don't know if you remember that moment. Uh, I do. Uh, just what, what kind of, uh, what did you need to show the world when that moment happened? Um, I don't know if I needed to show the world anything. I think just, I guess, because of my job, I probably, and, you know, I grew up in Humboldt, so that team 
as, as much as I was the voice of the Mustangs and the Hawks and the Broncos, I was special being a high school kid that, you know, at one point went to high school with, with the humble Bronco players and then, you know, uh, getting a chance to call their games for five years. And then obviously my family is still there. I, I stayed very much connected with the team, just, you know, trying to promote, promote them. And, and I did the same for Melford and Nippo as well, but, uh, you know, my family lives 30 seconds from the rink. <laughs> when you think of, uh, the drive across town, now you can get across town in three minutes, but, um, at the end of the day, for me, when that happened, it was just, I'd lived it. Right. And I'm not going to lie to you. I think about it when we're on the bus sometimes now, like, um, you try not to, but, uh, first time I got on the bus, when we came actually to Regina for a preseason game, you know, we've been on the bus, um, when you go to the airport or whatever with the jets, but it just seemed different because you're not on the highway and you know, you're battling through snowstorms and, I know that had nothing to do with snow that day when, when it happened, but um, you know, you, it's in the back of your mind. And I knew Tyler Bieber, the broadcaster, um, you know, he reached out for some advice and some guidance and that kind of stuff, getting into it. Like I had done for, you know, Pete Labardius or so many other guys, when I was getting into it myself, you kind of try and give back. And then, you know, Darcy Hogan, I knew a little bit, uh, just being back in the summertime, you'd always stop into the rink because you wanted to see if something was different or whatever. And he was in his office and we'd sit down and have a conversation for, you know, half hour, 45 minutes, whatever, just talking hockey, talking life and all that kind of deal. So, you know, those are the only two that I knew on the bus. But, um, you know, I guess, and, you know, the three of us have talked about it before. It it wasn't just a hockey story, right? It was... Uh, you know, whether it's whether it's a dance group, whether it's minor sports of something else, whether it's business trips, like everybody goes on buses. It could have happened to anybody. And, uh, you know, it, it happened to Humboldt. So um, I guess at the end of the day, you just want to try and make your your town proud that, uh, you know, Jared Bedner and I have have an avenue through through the careers that we've chosen to, to get the word out, obviously, and, and get people involved. And now with the golf tournament, bring everybody back and, and remember, you know, everybody that was involved, not only the ones that passed away, but uh, those that have been impacted since that day here over the last uh, number of years. And it uh, it's special for, for both of us. We, you know, we put a lot of work into it behind the scenes and um, you know, it's Jared and I always, had uh wanted to do something you never knew what you could do and then uh lori warford who's who was actually evan thomas's billet mom is the lady behind the scenes that does so much work for us uh just getting all the sponsors and all that kind of stuff uh done with me being in winnipeg and jared in denver that uh you know we get we do as much as we can kind of pull all the prizes in and and get everybody involved and so thankful for you know the support we have in that regard but uh you know she does most of the grunt work behind the scenes and uh when when she approached us and said hey would you guys do this it was like okay here we go this is this is something that uh that we can try and give back uh in a small way to to the town and uh it's it's a terrific weekend we have we have a blast it's a long weekend but it's uh, one that we we look forward to every year for sure and what was it like to see the, you know, the reaction to the sticks out and then to see the way the hockey community rallied 
around the town and the organization and, and the families? Yeah, you know, uh, unbelievable, really. Like, it was, I guess for those that don't know, it's a small, it started with, there's a small group of about probably 10 to 12 of us that uh, go on a golf trip every summer that went to high school together. So, and we're spread out across the world, literally. Like one of the guys lives in the Cayman Islands, a couple of guys were in the States, everybody else is pretty much in Canada, but we're kind of all across the country. And uh, one of our other guys uh, that lives in Winnipeg, you know, he put it out on his step and he, he just kind of sent it to our, to our group chat. And, um, you know, obviously everybody was, was emotional that day and your head's not in the right spot. And I couldn't decide if I should tweet it out or not. And, you know, I, I fought with it for a couple hours and I reached out to a few people that, uh, you know, I kind of trust their opinion on different things. And obviously I wasn't kind of in the right mindset to make a decision like that. And, uh, you know, everybody was like, yeah, yeah, but I was still no. And finally, right before I went to bed, I thought, you know what? I, I'm going to tweet it out. Like it's, it's the least I can do on, like, I wanted to go home. And I think my wife was expecting me to jump in the car the next day and, and go to Humboldt, but we were in the middle of the hockey season, right? Like it was, it was all winding down in April. So, um, obviously I couldn't leave Winnipeg and, um, yeah, so I just sent it out and then I went to bed and obviously the the response and how the whole world gravitated to it and still does today. Like I still see the random stick that's on a porch and not necessarily in Winnipeg. It's like it's everywhere. Um the one that really got me and it it shouldn't be a surprise because we know how the whole the whole uh I guess initiative, if you want to call it that, or or idea spread worldwide was I went back um, a year later to do the Allen Cup in Rosetown, Saskatchewan. And uh, I picked up Dave, Tom or Dave Tomlinson picked me up at the airport. He was my color analyst, former Jet. And uh, <laughs> Weber will laugh because he takes a shot at my navigational skills. Well, I was driving, Dave was navigating, we missed the turn. He's like, don't you know where we're going? Like, it's a simple road to get from Saskatoon to, to Rosetown. Um, so we blew by. So I we had to cut down this one back gravel road. And it was snowing. It wasn't very nice out at all. And we got up to this farm, and there was a net on the side of the road with hockey sticks that were still there. And you could tell they'd been there for the entire year. Like, they were worn. And, again, it was random, middle of Saskatchewan, so it made sense where it was. But – it's not something that's in your mind. And all of a sudden, it's like holy smokes! Like it just snaps your mind right back uh, immediately to it. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm honored that so many people did it for for the team. And uh, you know what? It's um, it's something we wish that would have never happened. Obviously, we'd love to be able to turn back the clock, but uh, you know, it's 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 a really nice thing to see that people still do it on uh, on that day um you know it's not really a hey put your stick out on that day kind of thing like a lot of sticks have either just stayed out or some people say hey i'm i'm putting it out because we remember those 29 and uh you always want to do that you want to remember them. well i'll tell you this munzee you've always been such a phenomenal representative of that town they've been lucky to have you uh you've represented them well i 
I love that sentiment that you said about you just kind of wanted to head home when that happened. But I think that uh, you kind of had the heart show that when, when you tweeted that and you kind of, it, it, that those kind of things resonate with people because clearly it meant something to you and touched a, touched a chord with a lot of people. That was phenomenal stuff. Um, I just want to say uh, uh, we're so lucky to have you on this show. Uh, we're so lucky to have the team that you cover in this town and they are so lucky to have you telling their stories in real time. It feels like there could be something special happening with them this year and uh, and having you tell their story in real time for them is going to make sure that uh, if something special happens, it sounds just as special. So thank you so much for joining us, Munzee. It's been it's been great catching up with you. How do we go through this long and the three of us don't talk golf at all? I know. I was going well, we, the, you're it's snowing out. That's why, buddy. It's too it's interesting. There's too snowing. much stuff to talk about. I, I didn't even get to the Rochelle Hunter story or any of your other famous people that you've uh, brunched with. But, uh, I don't know. Do you want, do you want to, do you want to go talk some golf? Ken, you got a golf question? Well, no. The only thing is like, and it's funny we're doing the show today because, one of the players on the ice brought up Weaver's two hole in ones to me yesterday. Oh, Corey Connors got one today. Oh, did he? Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. I was at practice uh, all morning at the rink before jumping on here with you guys. So, one of the one of the ice players. One of the ice players brought it up. I can't remember how it came up. And hole in one story started. Hole in one story started to go, and then some guy. I'm not going to tell you who it was. I shouldn't say some guy. Um, one of them says, "Well, the newspaper guy in Winnipeg, he got two in one round, didn't he?" And then, of course, I jumped in saying, "Well, yeah, but he lost both balls." So. <laughs> <laughs> the part, the best part of the story that never gets told unless it's me or Kevin Owen to bring uh, back into the real world. Who needs who, who needs the balls? It's yeah, all good. Always got the memories. Got the hold on. That's right. Don't get senile, Ken, because that's all you got left. Uh, uh, Munzee, awesome, awesome to to catch up with you. I have the feeling we're going to do so again real quick. Uh, keep doing what you're doing and enjoy the ride. All right, guys, good to catch up with you. We'll see you when we get home here in a couple of days. Thanks, see you, buddy. See you. All right, fellas. See you. All right, great stuff from Mr. Munzee. It was hard to leave both those interviews today. It was. Uh, we're above 30 into the show. This is probably oh, yeah. our longest ever, but there's a whole bunch, again, there's a whole bunch of stuff I wanted to get to that we didn't necessarily get to, but what kind of thoughts do you walk away with, Kenny? Oh, tremendous. Uh, all, all of it. Um, Brian and I have known each other for a long time and I, I just gave him a little bit of a shot, but uh, he always, he never left me without having the GPS on. So before, uh, <laughs> one of the things people don't know about Brian is that he can fall asleep anywhere at any time. So, uh, and some of those late night drives after uh, games in Houston and places like that, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a chatterbox, but uh, you know, it's always good having the company. That's for sure. I got to say this. He won't remember this, but the first time I ever talked to him, I was still doing news and he came to MC some kind of, I, I'm guessing it was a True North uh, um, uh, press event or something like that. It was at the Forks and he came out and it was funny because you're used to covering all these people and most of them are really uncomfortable public speakers, you know, and uh, all of a sudden months he comes up and he's got that rich, booming voice and he did did whatever. And I walked over afterwards. I said, you don't know me. I'm Sean Reynolds from CBC News. I'm just here covering this uh, for for the for our broadcast. But man, oh man, these people should be paying you to do this because I can tell you I've been to a lot of boring, terrible press conferences and you made this one sound like it was like game three of like, uh, <laughs> of like an important overtime game or something like that. It was just good stuff uh rich 
the the dulcet tones of Brian Munns are dulcet tones that I miss around the uh, the the rink. But uh, our loss is definitely the game of the Winnipeg Ice. Um, well, let's one shut other, her down. One here. other one other quick one just to tie it all up because Huss talked about uh, John Daly. So a couple of years ago, uh, Munsey and I are in Nashville, and it happens to be like an anniversary street party for Tootsie's, and John Daly is there. And we have these VIP passes and we see John coming out of the trailer. And it's one of those moments where you're like, ah, do you stop him? Do you not stop him? Ah, why not? Just stop. Munzee stops him. We get the picture. Um, and just to tie all the whole story together, Munzee gives him a quick, thanks a lot. This guy got two holes in one. <laughs> John Daly goes, cool. Fist bump. See you later. <laughs> just, just a classic. So I mean, it's one of those things too. Just I mean, we've just been so blessed to be traveling around the world covering hockey and sports, and it just sort of goes back to what Hustler was talking about. I mean, the the gratitude to. I mean, it's just great to be able to see places and see sporting events, and uh, ultimately, what both Brian and Huss talked about. It's the relationships that you're able to forge uh, over the years that uh, that really matter, and. Uh, that's why we continue to, uh, you know, whether it's get out for lunch or get out on the golf course, even though um, Munzee waxes me most of the time, uh, it's, in, it's still enjoyable to have all those conversations and to, to be able to catch up with the, with the good people that we've met over the years. Well, just like you said, uh, good people and relationships are better uh, when you have relationships with good people and uh, Munzee and Huss are two of the best. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We will catch you after the Jets game. That's the next time we'll see you on. That's Friday after, uh, well, Florida. Crucial stretch of games here. The next four against really, really good teams here. I mean, we're going to know right away, the, and I think we already know the playoff fate of the Winnipeg Jets, but it's going to get fairly definitive here over the next week, I would suggest. But let's get together and talk about it after the game on Friday. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We will see you after that game.